The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. This is Dylan. And we're here in episode 50. We've been doing this for longer than anyone could have possibly (laughs) predicted. A year? A year's like a very low bar, but I'm glad we met it. (laughs) Yeah, and honestly, we hit a year a few weeks ago, but I forgot to do anything about it on Twitter. So we're going to celebrate this one. It's 50 50 episodes. Uh, Not to 50! Not to 50! Uh... Fuck. Uh, and as is our want on our, our every ten episodes, we're gonna we're gonna head into the writers' room and we're gonna talk about how to turn some kind of video game thing into not a video game thing, into like how we would translate. Actually, what as makes... my incredibly esoteric reference uh, was just now, we're actually going to be talking about the Princess Bride reboot. <laughs> oh God! For for an hour, buckle for in. An hour? Yeah. Uh, no, mm-hmm. not never. No. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but we, we were trying to come up with what we wanted to do for this, this instance of the writer's room, and Dylan had an idea that got me very excited, and that idea was... Let's talk about roguelikes. Yeah, so and rather then, than... Chris, you can, you can in, put in air horns right now, if that would, that would be amazing. <laughs> uh, I do not want to pay for sound effects, and I do not own an air horn, so no. Uh... They gotta be royalty-free. <laughs> I'm sure there's some royalty-free ones, I just, I... We're recording this the day before it goes up, Dylan. Don't put that kind of workload on me. Um, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we, uh, rather than doing what we typically do for this uh, this this segment, where we kind of like take a a property and look at how we would translate that, this time we're going to be looking at like the the conceit of the roguelike in game design. Which is, you know that that is something that is like very partic- particular and peculiar to interactive games yeah and i think that it will be able to do some interesting stuff in this space so hey dylan what's a roguelike well you see chris uh there was a game that came out a long fucking time ago called rogue uh and it it was a game that's kind of auto generated as you played it um i want to say it was for like an atari system or something i think but you're correct I, I don't remember which yeah. one but a roguelike is basically a game made in the style or, like, game design philosophy of the original Rogue. Um, And so some of the more notable ones, some of the more popular ones are Binding of Isaac, Um, Chris and I, We Stand Down Well. Those are, are like, the two big ones off the top of my head. Um, I'm sure if you gave uh, me more time. Recently, there's been things like, uh, oh, what's that game called? Dead Cells, which is sort of a Rogue-like Soulsborne game. Uh, wow, I just said, if you don't play video games, the the phrase rogues like Soulsborn sounds like I'm <laughs> pitching a really terrible like novel about a kid detective. Um, <laughs> roguelike so- Soulsborn? Yeah, or maybe, I, I maybe an adult detective. Maybe an adult I... detective. Uh, <laughs> but roguelikes are, like, the, the, the core conception of them is the idea is that you will not succeed your first try. You're probably going to you know, fail, whatever that failure state for the game is over and over again. And each time you're set back to kind of ground zero as far as your in-game character. There are some that have permanent upgrades that you can purchase. uh, But for the Mm -hmm. most part, the idea is like you have a go and if you fail, you go back to square one and have to start again. And what is improving is not like your game avatar's abilities. It's Mm -hmm. your knowledge of the game as a player and your awareness of like what's in front of you yeah uh, um it's it's more about you learning the tools that you may come across then because the the levels being auto-generated you're not going to be guaranteed to find something 
uh that you were counting on yeah and so like uh say say i was getting up and doing my morning routine i might try to walk into the bathroom expecting there to be a toothbrush and toothpaste unfortunately there is no toothpaste now i have to explore my house looking for the toothpaste yeah and hope that the next room will generate the toothpaste item so that i might brush my teeth yeah and these games are are compelling enough that like people have taken other games and modded them to give them a more kind of roguelike feel i'm thinking of things like the uh the super metroid randomizer mm-hmm. emulator which like that's not a roguelike but the the element of like taking where the upgrades are and mixing them around so you don't know where to go to get the thing you need, that's an idea that kind of stems from this same, like, design philosophy as the roguelike genre. Yeah. And so we're, this is, this is going to be a weirder one because where previously it's been about trying to capture what makes, say, a given property or the gameplay of, like, F-Zero, for example, fun and how to translate that into a non-interactive medium. This time we're taking, like, the underpinning mechanic. <laughs> and I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm excited to, to see what we can do with it. Well, um, I, I'm, I'm thinking we can definitely balance, uh, balance it out by... Because I, I have a roguelike in mind um, that I will mention after the playbill, and I'm wondering if you do, too. I have a few I've been okay. thinking about. So okay. I think it's worth talking a little bit about, like, there... What we're talking about is not entirely new. When Dylan brought this up, the first movie that popped into my head was Groundhog's Day. Yes. Because if you think about it, Groundhog's Day is kind of what we're talking about. It takes this guy and puts him in this endless loop of, like, every day he's set back to square one. And I don't think it ever... He has to do the perfect run to... Yeah, uh, and I don't think it ever explains how long he's stuck in that day but near the end of the movie you're seeing him like he knows literally what every person is going to be doing at every moment yeah and like so it's implied that he's been in there for a minute and that movie in a way that i don't think was intentional is very much a roguelike film it's i, w- I wouldn't say necessarily roguelike just because there is no element of randomness he knows exactly what's going yeah. to happen yeah um, it's 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 more akin to something uh, systemic, like something like uh, Majora's Mask, or yeah. uh, there's a, a recent game from Devolver Digital called Minute, which is like you have a a minute each life, but the world around you is not randomized. Everything kind of stays consistent, so it's about finding like optimum routes. Uh, yeah, rather there's, than... there's also an adventure game called The Sexy Brutal. Uh, oh, which is that so has good. The... I love it. <laughs> Uh, it, it has. It also has a very Majora's Mask like turn back time to learn the optimal path. To anyway, uh, we're we're getting at we're getting away from roguelikes. Yeah. Uh, uh, similarly, the only other film I could think of that had already done something like this, and there might be others that I'm not aware of, but this is the one that came to my mind was. Uh, oh, I think. Released in theaters as Edge of Tomorrow, did so bad they changed the name, released on DVD as Live, Die, Repeat, um, which was that uh, Tom Cruise flick yeah, about, about the, like... I say, that sounds familiar. <laughs> it, I, I didn't see the film, but it, uh, from what I understand, it's about, like, a kind of futuristic mech war, and this guy, whenever he dies, he wakes up on the day of that battle, and he's trying to figure out, again, kind of the the optimum path through that keeps him alive. I haven't seen the movie enough to know, or I haven't seen the movie to know if there's any element of like the roguelike randomness that we're talking about, but it felt Mm -hmm. worth bringing up. Uh, If you've seen edge of tomorrow, parenthetical live, die, repeat, and want to yell at me about how I'm very wrong. Do that on Twitter. Uh, Yell at me, (laughs) feed me. I live off of the rage. Uh, But anyway, roguelikes. What? Yes. Dylan about Mm -hmm. this this construction made you the most curious to talk about it in this section so i guess what i like is this storytelling or at least as i've been playing a recent roguelike or i've been playing a roguelike recently it's a very old game but um there there's something about that cycle of failure starting like completely from square zero not knowing what's ahead, but continuing on anyway, that really appeals to me. And it's something that's so so peculiar to 
video games where it's it's based on your input and your victory is never a certainty that i i really kind of i i i want to i want to think about like that how like how that could be converted to another storytelling medium or even like you know even if that's not like a 100% guarantee how can we how can we take that tension and the stakes of knowing that like failure is starting from square zero yeah and i i think that there's something to it that like stories are built on conflict and stories are built on failure a lot of the time like uh when i when i was at podtails uh last month i sat in on a panel on uh actual play podcasting and like how to run effective games for the purpose of podcasting and creating actual plays Mm -hmm. and one of the things that one of the panelists brought up is his philosophy is and this is a little bit of a tangent but i'm I'm gonna loop it back in uh his philosophy is to remove as much of the game from the listener as possible unless it matters Mm -hmm. and his axes for when things matter are like the 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 outcomes that are going to be most effective are really really close victory like victory just edging out the odds Mm -hmm. by a thread failure along the same metric or crushing failure okay success on a like success when it's like haha i did that and that was no problem that is from a like while it can be compelling he wasn't Mm -hmm. saying like that's never good but that kind of success that kind of like ha i've blown you out of the water i just went super saiyan magenta and (laughs) ate your soul because i'm the best like that's that's nothing that yeah it it doesn't become compelling it's just it, it can be compelling if it's at the end of a long stretch of being beaten down but yeah. it's the like the weakest sort of outcome possible. Whereas actually, I I remember that was a complaint about uh, Hobbs and Shaw, the uh, Fast and Furious spinoff movie that I came out earlier it. this year. Um, I haven't either, but like I remember there was just like an article where it was like Dwayne the Rock Johnson and I I can't remember who plays his Jason co-star. Statham. Like, thank you. Uh, they both had like contract stipulations that said like they could not be beaten down like a certain number of times they had to be like appear strong in every scene they show uh, up in that's so and, dull yeah, like <laughs> it's so dull like, like that's not that's not a compelling story at that point yeah and so to to bring this tangent back to the topic at hand i think that there's something to that of like that what makes a roguelike compelling is that you never reach that point of being like omnipotent you never hit a point where it feels like you're on top and you're going to stay on top. Yeah, you are completely flying by the seat of your pants. I was going to yeah. say skin of your teeth, but... Yeah, I don't flying think by the, the skin of your butt. Um, yeah. you, <laughs> it's a game genre that, like, the experience of playing it, you you feel like you're always kind of on the, ni- the knife's edge. Yeah. And you'll occasionally start to get into that point where, like, if you've played the same roguelike for hours and you know the opening, like, section... Not necessarily by, like the back of your hand, because there is that element of randomness, but the way that a lot of these games are constructed is, like, there will be sections with a theme. Yeah. And so those random designs are all built around, like, the first section features a lot of pit traps, and this kind, and, like, these five kinds of enemies, and, like, and you can you get to the point the where... enemies' behaviors, so... Yeah, you can get you to know. the point where, like, mm-hmm. that section doesn't challenge you existentially anymore but you can never put your guard down because you're always starting at square one and there's always the possibility that, like you could, if you get cocky you will slip up and you will lose in this section that should be a pushover right i i just thought of a story in a, a video game that is not a roguelike that has like a very linear story that could perfectly be adapted into a tv show or something oh yeah that kind of utilizes this feeling of like stakes and um starting back from square one um, so the world ends with you is one of my favorite games on the DS. And I just, have we never talked about that game? We have before? never talked about the world ends with you, my guy. That we've been doing this for over a Gregorian <laughs> year, and somehow you have not managed to bring this game up yet. Yeah, no, it's really crazy. That's wild. Respect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, the world ends with you episode is coming. Um, <laughs> I arbitrarily decide now. 
Uh, but yeah, no. Anyway, um, I say that a lot. I'm sorry, Chris. No, you're. I edited a lot. You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I'm apologizing. <laughs> but the world ends with you. the The basic plot of the story is that you play as Neku Sakuraba, who is an angsty 15 year old. the The entire game takes place in the uh, Shibuya. I don't think it's a prefecture. It's like a district. It's a district of Tokyo, Japan. And he wakes up, and all he knows in, like, the first, like, two minutes of the game is that he's in something called the Reaper's Game, and that he has to do a task every day, or he loses his right to exist. Whoop! Yeah, um, and so, uh, Neku, he technically uh, participates in three games. He wins the game the first time, but because of bullshit rules that are not, he, he is not let known to them, um, he is not allowed to leave the game, and he, so he has to start over. And then he has to do that a second time. And both, like, the, the first time he wins the game, it's like, alright, I know what to do now. But then, like, he meets a character who throws a wrench into all those plans, who doesn't want to do the daily, um, wants to go off the beaten path, doesn't want to do the daily goals that are assigned to them. Um, and so that is its own level of, like, stress and tension and, like, this should be easy, but now I'm I'm with a partner. Also, uh, Neku has to team up with a partner, otherwise he cannot participate in the game and is instantly disqualified. Um, so he has to learn to deal with his partner, who and every partner he teams up with is a different person who has very different priorities, and he has to learn to manage and deal with those. And then the third week, he starts it, and there are no other players so he doesn't have a partner, and he has to, like, deal with that. Oh, yikes. Yeah, he has to deal with that, like, before his time limit expires. And so, you know, if adapted into another medium, or, like, you know, even looking at that story at face value, I feel like The World Ends With You has this very, like, roguelike, roguelike sense of stakes, where even as the main character is getting more comfortable with the rules of, like the world he is dropped into he still has to deal with unexpected elements and learn and adapt or die it's fucking rad oh, the world ends with you so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> um so i guess to move on to the game that inspired uh my wanting to do this episode is an old roguelike for the super nintendo or i guess super famicom so chris you like, uh, or at least you've heard of the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games, right? I have, and I love them. Okay, so uh, the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games are actually a spinoff of a series, which is in itself a spinoff of a Dragon Quest spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> Don't it's worry just turtles me. all the way down. Like, I'll, 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 I'll break down the chronology in a second, but uh, there's a series called Sheeran the Wanderer, uh, where you play as a samurai who, in whatever situation he uh, he finds himself in, has to go through a series of dungeons. I think the, the original Super Famicom game is 30 floors, and then you have bonus dungeons. And if you die, you, you start over, you lose all your equipment, all that good roguelike stuff. So the reason why it's a spinoff is uh, the, the company made a spinoff of Dragon Quest uh, that starred one of the characters from Dragon Quest IV, and then they decided to take that that game design and create their own original character with that. And then as that became a series, they then got contracted by Squaresoft to do it with a, a Chocobo theme for Final Fantasy. And then uh, with uh, Game Freak or the Pokemon Company for uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. So that's the uh, the timeline there. That's, the, that's our, our flow chart. Of... Yeah, they, <laughs> they've also worked with like Etrian Odyssey, uh, like... They get around, I guess. But I, I think to, to look at the uh, Sheeran the Wanderer, their mascot, it's... Ah, oh, dude. Okay, so the Super Famicom game, which is the only one I've played, but uh, it's it, it's really cinematic in a way that I don't get from a lot of uh, Super Nintendo games. So you, you play a Sheeran, or whatever you decide to name the main character, and he travels with a little ferret uh, companion... And he, his goal is to climb this mountain because of the dying request of a friend 
to find a mystical golden condor that will lead him to the lost city of gold. And that is such a fucking great, like... I do uh, love it, that. <laughs> it's it's presented as, like, this very, like, uh, Showa-era uh, samurai movie. Like, that's the, that's, that's the feel and style. It, it's very uh, Yojimbo. <laughs> In its uh, in its feel and tone. No, I'm I'm looking at some some screenshots from it, and the the visual style is real cool. Yeah, like it it opens with like you know garbage human, but like amazing composer uh, Koichi Sugiyama. Like his <laughs> score fucking kills it. <laughs> no, I I have to I have to I have to be upfront. Like Koichi Sugiyama, the guy who behind the music for Dragon Quest, kind of a trash human. Um, but like. It, it all really adds to this feeling of, like, you know, I don't watch a lot of samurai movies, but it also kind of taps into that, like, Western appeal and that, like, pulp, pulpy Indiana Jones appeal. So that's really good. And so as you climb this mountain and, you know, die repeatedly, occasionally you'll come across NPCs and uh, the floors of the dungeon will be broken up by other settlements that you'll go into and, and talk to NPCs and buy from shops and, you know, stuff like that. And... The the stuff that doesn't carry over is, you know, the equipment you've had on you, the, you know, the weapons you've gotten, all the EXP and levels that you've gained. But what does carry over is the people you've met. They will remember you if you've done stuff to aid them. They will, you know, they will remember that and, like, maybe their, their standard of living will improve. There's, uh, there's like, three examples I, I can think of that I've encountered in my playthrough so far. Um, there is an NPC that you can find while wandering the dungeons, and she'll she'll flirt with you, and she'll ask if you um you know close your eyes, and I'll do something for you, like you know thinking it's gonna be a kiss, uh, and you do that, and she robs you blind, and like literally robs you blind. Incredible. You have you have a blind status, so you can't see anything around you, and so if you you'll you'll find her in the next settlement though, and she's getting like harassed by a bunch of people who she also tried to rob and you you have the option of saving her and sometimes she'll be grateful and join your party and other times she'll rob you blind again because it's a roguelike and nothing's ever guaranteed <laughs> <laughs> but like you know uh you'll you'll find her more consistently after you save her um and it's it's really weird and i don't like her she sucks but it's fine <laughs> Um, and there's another character who says that he's your brother. You meet him at, like, an item shop. And, you know, whether you believe him or not, if you treat him with kindness and are open and inviting to him, I'm not sure where that side quest ends, but, like, he remembers you. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm really interested to see where that goes. And then there's a third one where there's a restaurant that you can help fund uh, because it's, it's in a very inopportune part of town. Um, and you know, there's there's all these little things, and I I feel like that it's a combination of like you are getting up and failing again, but you are also because you are making like honest connections with like the people you come across on your journey, even as you die and start over again. Like every time you do that, you are making an incremental effect on their lives, and I feel like there is a story to be told there. Yeah. Uh, the stumbling block I'm I'm coming up against with this thing, and I I don't say this to be like it's ruined. Our episode's bad, but just like <laughs> I'm I don't know how to figure it out. Is the this element of randomness is so mm-hmm. important to this genre in gaming? Yes, and that is something that like becomes very apparent when you're playing a game because you leave the starting area and it's like oh this isn't the hallway I was in last time. Yeah. Like, I, I always feel like there's no way you can actually, like, one-for-one one make it unpredictable for the audience. Like, obviously, once they see a movie or hear a story, like, they're going to know that story. I guess, like, when I when I suggested roguelikes, what I wanted to examine was closer to, like, that feeling of constant loss and desperation that the protagonist feels. So that we, as the audience, may feel that desperation yeah, and I think that that is the most important thing, but I'm I'm wondering if it's possible to introduce this, like, in the film, this concept that, like, the protagonist doesn't know what's next and is in that position of, like, anything could be around the next corner, even though he's been down this hallway 18 times. Well, I feel like with Sharon the Wanderer specifically, um, 
the 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 fact that like the story is kind of phrased uh, like framed as you are pursuing this mystical condor to find this lost city of legend um and you're you know you're fighting ogres and uh you know various japanese folklore inspired monsters i feel like you could easily frame it so that like the the i'm thinking something like castlevania where in castlevania the castle is actually like a sentient changing thing um Mm -hmm. it changes from like century to century because like based on like the whim of whatever it feels like uh, or like you know in Harry Potter like when the the stairs to the Gryffindor commons like just change whenever they feel like it i feel like the the forest that you go to and like the mountain tunnels can be this thing that constantly shifts and so if if we were to look at Sharon as a protagonist with his own thoughts and feelings like there could definitely be something there where you know he never knows like what he's going like what the actual next way forward is and he has to grapple with that i like it okay i there is the beginnings of a god i'm not a screen i'm not a screenwriter but this this episode is making me want to write um because <laughs> i that's that's why we do these i have this image in my head now of like maybe it's because you were talking about during the wanderer and it has this very like you were saying kind of yojimbo aesthetic to it mm-hmm. but i'm picturing a I I just forgot the name of one of the most prolific filmmakers in history. Uh, <laughs> uh, give me a movie. Give me give me a film. Seven a Samurai. S- is that still? That's not still Kurosawa. Yes, Kurosawa. Thank you. Okay, I, all I could still, think of was yeah, Miyazaki, yo, yo, and I don't yo, know why. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, no, Yojimbo and Seven Samurai are are both uh, Kurosawa. Yeah, I and that, I I couldn't think of his fucking name. Uh, but I'm picturing like a very like Kurosawa film. I'm also like. What I'm about to describe is pulling very heavily from sort of the aesthetic and tone of, like, Samurai Jack. Oh, of shit, just Kurosawa like... was born on the same year, as, or the, not the same year, the same day as me. Oh, dang. That's really fucking cool. That's very cool. <laughs> uh, but I'm picturing, like, opening sequence, just this uh, guy wandering through, like, on a small footpath through a forest, and, like... Maybe he's a samurai, maybe he's a medieval knight, maybe he's a gunslinger, some kind of, like, warrior warrior boy. Right, right. Uh, and he... I'm, I'm trying to, like, figure out how to get this across, but I, I, I like the idea of a film like this that starts not at the beginning of this, like, I am trapped Ooh, in yeah, this yeah, cycle. Yeah. I like the idea of we, we meet this character and they already kind of know that, like, when they die, they wake up in this clearing up against a tree. Right. And they're just, like, trying to find out why and get out of it. Right. Maybe they're trying to get home to their family. Maybe they have, like, a message to deliver that they have been trying to deliver for God knows how long. But they can't get out of this forest, or they can't get past the mountains, or whatever whatever the obstacle that has been stymieing them is. Mm-hmm. And I'm... I, like I said, I am not a screenwriter. I my my skill set is not in coming up with these things and like making them actually function cleanly. But I like I I like the idea of starting there because I feel like that opens up a possibility for like if there is a village that this guy has gone through, you know, hundreds of times on this walk and he he's already kind of in that end of groundhog's day point of like Maybe he doesn't know what they do because maybe there is that element of like they're not doing necessarily the exact same thing, but he knows these people mm-hmm. even though they don't know him. Okay, and I was about finding to say, ways. Would you say that he's constantly going back to like this point where, like, when he wakes up at this tree, is he also going back in time to where he wakes up at this tree? That's what I'm not okay. sure of. Because I, I, I guess so. like the one thing I really like about Sharon the Wanderer is that like there is this feeling that time has progressed since you started climbing the mountain. And every time you fall back, they're like, welcome back. Oh, I like that way more. I like that way more. Yeah, yeah. I think both have their strengths, but either way, I think that joining this main character, again, kind of in media's res, allows for, like, the truth of the situation can can be demonstrated through their actions and through the way they interact with these people. Mm-hmm. In a way that might be a little bit quicker and more elegant than like having to do a whole section and then have him die for the first time and wake up and be like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, 
yeah because that's that's something that you can do in games when you're you know you have many more hours to use than i feel like if you you were doing like a tv mini series or something yeah you you could definitely like do the first episode and like build it up and you're like oh man he's gonna make it and then when he doesn't and he you know i think what is implied in sheeran specifically is that his uh his his ferret companion actually somehow gets him the help he needs to be carried back down the mountain oh i like that <laughs> um that's that's never stated explicitly like i was reading fan theories for why he he always wakes up in the same place uh but like i, I don't know there, there's like a lot you can do there uh you could you could do it like dark souls-esque where you know death and rebirth is like uh maybe that's more bloodborne but uh you know the the concept of the hunter's dream like i feel like there's a lot of stuff you could do narratively to kind of at least like with this idea of like failure not being the end yeah and i like the idea of building in that just to set the world and then also introducing like okay well if death is just an inconvenience if death is just like delaying this what is at stake what are the the greater potential yeah. failures it's, it's i i definitely feel like it's because okay so in in my mind using two non-roguelike examples i think it's somewhere in between bloodborne and silent hill 2 yeah yes yeah. you you will start up again but there are cosmic forces that are constantly acting against you where you like even if like you have as many tries as you possibly want there will always be a system in place to disorient you and make you feel weak and uh, vulnerable. Yeah, and I think that there's the potential, again, to, with that kind of thing in mind, to have the story be one of, like, it starts out with just this guy trying to get, trying to brute force his way past this. And then it can turn into a story of, like, okay, well, what do I need to do to stop it? What do I need to Mm -hmm. do to, like break the cycle as opposed to just like succeed right i don't know i this is interesting <laughs> there, there there's something here uh yeah let's, um, let's a couple slide... things uh, a couple things i'll say about sharon the wanderer just before we we move on to the playbill um when you first enter the town at the base of the mountain they they talk to you like as if like they are expecting to see you again like we know you're going to fail we know you're going to end up back here and it's it's almost like builds into like this superstitious thing about the mountain that like the nature of it is like we like i don't think you're gonna die but like i also know that like you're like i i expect you to give up before you're going to die and i I think that is that is more the tone that like i am think that i am approaching this episode with i like that a lot This, this if death is not going to stop you what will yeah. And what kind of hopelessness is going to... Yeah, yeah no, exactly, God, exactly. There's cool shit here. <laughs> uh, let's hop into the into the playbill, and then we'll come out the other side and see what else we can get to. But first, we need to talk about other shit. Hi, we're in the playbill now. Thanks to that lovely transition music. Um, okay, I thought you were gonna take my like fucking like acapella. Oh, that's staying in. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh no. Uh, hey, Dylan, where is the best place to learn about old anime? Um, it's the same place you can find my car. At dude, do you remember Macro? <laughs> I'm gonna throw you in a well. <laughs> Are you editing that out or no? <laughs> um, yeah, no. It's if you guys didn't hear the last episode, this is now a running joke between me, Coop, and Chris. Uh, but anyway, dude, you remember Macross? That's dude, as in dude. Where's my car? That's where it comes from. Um, eat your eat your face. Love you too. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's a show where uh, me and our mutual friend Coop we we examine the series. Uh, Super Dimensional Fortress Macross, and we we talk about it. It's an old '80s mecha anime, and it's really good stuff. Uh, I'm I'm current. We're currently going through uh, Macross Plus, which is a four episode '90s OVA directed by the guy behind Cowboy Bebop and done by the music uh, 
uh, the music done by the composer behind Cowboy Bebop. So if you like Cowboy Bebop, maybe Macross Plus is a thing you should check out. And then you can hear us talk about it over at Dude, You Remember Macross. Um, and, you know, if that sounds interesting to you, you can find us at anchor.fm slash Dude, You Remember. We are also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Hell yeah. You should also check out our friends over at The Unexplored Places. They are an actual play podcast uh, currently running a sci-fi adventure story using the Scum and Villainy game system. Uh, It's really fucking fun. I play a totally a real doctor. Dylan, when he's able to be on the show, plays a rebellious teen bug hacker. Oh, Um, yeah. The day after this episode comes up, we're going to be doing, uh, they're going to be putting out episode three of their second season. So it's a great time to be getting on board. Uh, Their first season was also great. That was a, they used Monster of the Week to tell a story about ooky spooky shit in rural Ohio. And it's a great show. And you can find them on Twitter at unexploredcast or by going to unexploredcast.libsyn.com. I could plug other shows that I'm in, but I'm just going to say, follow me on Twitter at CJ Wilson VA <laughs> if you care about the shit that I'm in, because that's that's fair. <laughs> I, I don't want to take up too much time in episode. Follow Dylan on Twitter, too, at T-H-A underscore D-I-L-A, the Dilla, uh, for fun shit posts. Two big thank yous. One to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. It's a network full of great shows looking at video games from different angles, and you can find them constantly retweeting all of the member shows at HPVG Pod Network on Twitter. And thank you, as always, to our patrons. This is all your fault. All of it. It's on you. Thanks to our patrons, we're not losing money on things like web hosting. We are able to do this uh, as much as we want, and we're trying to make it constantly better for you. Thank you, as always, for the support. And if you like what we're doing and want to help us do more and do better, patreon.com slash bsgpod is the way to do that so now that we're back from the playbill i want to pitch something dumb because (laughs) dumb i've been thinking about the roguelikes that i enjoy and none of them really add anything to the conversation uh that we haven't already touched on Uh, just go through the list real quick well i was thinking about things like like, uh i've been playing a fair amount of dead cells recently which is a very it's it like i said sort of roguelike meets like a Dark Souls-esque kind of game. Okay, yeah. Uh, but it's... I don't know. It's very good. It's, it feels... Is Darkest too... Dungeon a roguelike? Darkest Dungeon is, is roguelike-esque. Darkest Dungeon is okay. an interesting one. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Darkest Dungeon is a game where you take on kind of management of this cursed fallen estate, and you're recruiting adventurers to go into the various, like, areas of this estate to perform missions to try to drive out this curse. And it is procedurally generated. I I think of it less as a roguelike and more as like a, a kind of management okay. attempt. Uh, I would place it more in line of something like XCOM, where okay. like there is the option for, for failure, but it's not like one failed mission and you're back at ground zero. Right, uh, right. Because you have multiple like parties worth of people, or you can at least. So, you know, if you go out and the party of four adventurers that you send out gets completely decimated, that's not necessarily game over. It can be if you're playing on higher difficulty levels, but it's not like an automatic, like, well, now I'm back at square one. But it has some elements of it in like that sense of like, you never know what a given excursion into the wields or the woods or the the slaughterhouse or whatever is going to be. I guess Uh, that's more what I was thinking of. Like when you enter a dungeon, does the layout change? Yeah, it's it's always randomly... Okay, so the, it's it's kind of like a persona, persona yeah, three and four. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I I I had this thought, and I don't know if it's if it's anything, but c- could there be a roguelike sports movie? Oh my god! <laughs> I'm thinking like like a you know a Rocky, but instead of all leading up to one fight he's like trying to climb the league but like i don't i i don't know what this would be i don't know if it's anything but i i can't stop thinking about it tell me more tell me more (laughs) did he get very far like that's what i'm thinking like this idea of like you know going through preliminary rounds and getting into a bracket and making your way up but then having it be like 
like one and done. You lose one round and it's out and you have to start your, your league standings over again. And this is an incredibly inefficient way to structure a sports league. Mm-hmm. But I'm less concerned with that and I'm more concerned with like, is this a way to structure a movie? <laughs> okay, okay. Or like a soccer so you... team that's trying to like make their way up. But like, I I don't know if this is anything, but I want it to be something. Okay, okay. Like, all right, uh, all right. Uh, we have <laughs> we have Joe. Joe's the main character. What what type of player is Joe? I, I wanna I wanna break this down and see if we can we can go somewhere with this because I'm I'm really excited to hear. <laughs> okay, I'm glad that this is speaking to you as much as it's been whispering sweet nothings in my ear. <laughs> you know what? Let's stick with like this 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 initial pitch of like having it be kind of Rocky esque or like a, a okay. Street Fighter World Martial Arts Championship bullshit thing. Okay, yeah. So Joe is a kid who came up not having much, and he he's taken up tournament fighting to try and have to try and you know get that prize money, try to okay. ride high on that. And so when he when he fails, does does he just he can re-enter the tournament or? I'm not sure. Maybe it's a. Okay. What if it's Groundhog's Day? But it's that's kind of what I was hoping you'd say. Yes. Honestly. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is like it's it's the day of like the the championship match title card is playing as you hear like ding ding of the round bell starting and we hear like as credits roll on a black screen we hear like the footsteps of the boxers in the ring we hear a couple of like blows landing we hear heavy breathing and then as the the final title card fails we just see like a fist come in like at the camera lens and then cut to our protagonist like reeling backwards as he staggers back on his heels and falls down uh unconscious and we see like the title of the film as the the camera like pulls back in an aerial overhead shot of him like unconscious as that ref is counting down and like proclaiming the other guy the winner. And then he wakes up in a sweat on his like in his bed and he like touches his face where he feels like he broke his nose and his nose is just fine. And uh like his his coach is knocking on the door and yelling something like, Get up, Joey, it's time for the title match. And Obviously he's, played by Danny DeVito, right? Yeah, I mean, with the pr- delivery I just gave him, he has to be. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is anything. I don't know if you can get a whole movie out of the guy trying to win one fight over and over again. But, like, well, uh, so th- there's guess... also the day around that fight. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Oh, man, I really want to think about this now because, like... And, I, I like, I don't know if, like, in doing this we'll get away from, like... Uh, roguelikes in favor of Groundhog Day, but make it a uh, make it Rocky. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that movie alone sounds so fucking good. And I, again, I, this this might be a diversion, but I think that there's something to like. What if it What if it turns out it isn't the same fight? That's what I was thinking. Uh, either it isn't the same fight, or the the guy's in like a different condition every time. I don't know. Like, there's there's something there's something there. Yeah, I, there is there... something there. And I, I don't know how much how much more mileage we're going to get out of this topic. I think we spent a lot of our juice before the playbill. I really like... There is something very compelling about failing and trying again. Yeah. What I like about roguelikes as a player is that you feel like you are both the underdog, just, you know, playing a generally challenging video game, but you are also the underdog against the systems and rules that are in place to make you feel as weak as possible and every victory you you come under almost feels like a gamble yeah like like yes i i could use this weapon because i came across it but i don't know if it'll actually help me for this next stretch or if it would be better used sooner or later yeah, or... or it would be better to you know some systems you can only have one weapon on you at a time so like is it worth giving up this weapon that i know i like for this weapon that might be better yeah and so I think it, it's just this constant like idea of like second guessing yourself, but also like I I can't I cannot afford to be paralyzed by indecision right now. Yeah, uh, Downwell. Yeah, honestly, Downwell is a game we referenced it earlier. It is a a Downwell's wild. You you hop in a well and you fall forever, but you have gun <laughs> shoes that you can use to kill the like jellyfish that are trying to eat you as you fall down the well. It's wild. It's I've played. I think I have played more hours of Downwell than any other game <laughs> so in my good. Steam library. As hilarious as I'm that is, I'm as hell at that game. I need to get good again. I am too, but it's <laughs> fucking great. But like, there, there's something to we. Everyone likes underdog stories. Yes. the The reason that roguelikes are so compelling falls into the same reason that like people get so into fighting games in the fighting game community. Falls into the same reason that people love like 
good, like, well-written shounen anime where, like, the main character gets beat the fuck up all the time and mm-hmm. has to, like, win anyway. There is something about failing and saying, nah, I got this, and getting back up and trying again that's really, really compelling. And roguelikes tap into that in a way that's really, like, not unique to games, but they do it in a very unique way. And so I think a movie that tapped into it in that same axis of, like, you don't know, you never know if it's going to work out. You never know if you're even going to do as well the next time as you did the last time because there's that level of uncertainty. Yeah, I I feel like the, you know thematic the the themes behind the mechanics of a roguelike are you know it is man versus the individual the enemies you come across it is also man versus nature the you know the environments that you are no uh, not even that man versus nature as in like the environments or the dungeons that you're exploring and then on top of that it's man versus god (laughs) um (laughs) which is the systems in place that the creators made to constantly like you can you can get used to the first two but the fact that, like, after both of those, there's this omnipresent force that will not allow you to progress and is, like, actively, like, working against you. There, there's something very compelling about that. And I, I guess, like, in this episode, when I proposed this episode, what I wanted to do was hopefully get to the, the gristle of that. Yeah. And I think we, we wrestled with it. I don't know if we've cracked this nut because this is... Mm-hmm. It's a tough thing. Like the reason this works so well as a game is because it taps into your I can't I can't tell you the number of times I've been playing a game like Dead Cells or Downwell where I've like been so close and then lost and I just like grip the controller tighter and say nah and start again. <laughs> <laughs> so there there's something about that that like would be very difficult to translate to a film, but I think that if you write it in such a way that the audience can really relate to the character that is going through that. And, you know, a lot of it would be resting on that actor playing that character to sell those emotions in a way that was accessible. But you, like, there, there's there's a really cool story in there waiting to be told that we haven't gotten in things like Groundhog's Day or Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, I don't have much more for this. No, I, I, th- I think I think that is the the button that we should end this on. Yeah, and hey, if any of you out there have any other movies that have done things interestingly like this, or if you have any ideas about a roguelike in particular that we didn't talk about that has some systems that might be interesting to think about, let us know uh, via social media, which Dylan will will plug in just a moment. But before that, that's true. Thank you for listening. Uh, we, I'm gonna I'm gonna be real for a second it's it's wild to me that we've been doing this for as long as we have i know it's like a year is not that long but it's kind of long 50 episodes is nothing to sneeze at no 50 episodes is a bit and i appreciate with all of my heart the people out there who have been listening uh whether this is your first episode or whether you've been listening since the beginning in which case like hi dakota i guess but (laughs) but i it's it's a weird wild ride that we're on and i don't have any intention of stopping anytime soon so we'll uh yeah we'll be back next week and until then thank you for listening uh if you like what we're doing check us out at our website bsgpod.com uh, it's got a contact form if you want to reach out to us it's got info about the two of us and uh if you like what we're doing tell your friends tell your family tell anyone who you think would enjoy our particular weird content and uh, consider leaving a rating or a review on iTunes or in your podcatcher of choice. You can find us just about anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, you should also hit us up on social media. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter. Our handle is at BSG underscore cast. And you can also find us on YouTube. If you want to talk about us, engage with us in any sort of way, I, I, re- I really think we, we struck something here. I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, we're geniuses, but like... I, no, I, if we were geniuses, really wanted... we would have we would have solved it. We would have cracked the nut. <laughs> exactly, but I, I I would really like to hear people's thoughts on this. Uh, yeah, and if you do so, please use the hashtag #BSGPod. Hell yeah! Um, also huge huge thanks to our friend Brendan French for providing us with the key art. Uh, if you dig his stuff, you can find him on his Squarespace at Brennan-French.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N-French.squarespace.com. You can also find him on Instagram.com slash Brennan French Arts. You should also... 
go and show some love to our friend BioQuery. He is the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. You can find his music at his SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com slash bioquery, or by searching for bioquery on Spotify. That's B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Two more big thanks. One, thank you again to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. Uh, If you like video games, if you like people who take interesting looks from different angles at video games, you should check out any of the given shows on there, and you can find them all by following HPVG Pod Network on Twitter. And thank you again to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod. Without all of y'all's support, we would be... It would be much more inconvenient to do this than it than it is, because th- at this point, it's just a joy, and we appreciate all the support that you've shown. And if you want to help us out and help us do this more and better and want this to be your fault, too, <laughs> patreon.com slash bsgpod. Uh, that's all I've got for this week. Uh, here's to another 50 episodes. Yeah, here, here. Yeah, talk to y'all later. Bye-bye. Peace. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.